Worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. Praise God in the highest. You may be seated in your place. Thank you for making your way out to our worship service today. And we never take it for granted that you carve out this time in your day to be able to celebrate with us, those that are here and those that are watching us also um, uh, through the Internet. Thank you for joining us. And we pray that this not be just another routine Sunday gathering, but rather it can be a divine appointment where you have an encounter with God, that you would be inspired by him, uh, that you would be reached by him, that whatever load you're carrying or situation you're, in fa you're facing, that it might seem easier to bear as we celebrate the Lord. The Bible tells us clearly that God inhabits the praises of his people. So as we've been singing and praising, we don't just do that for the wonderful sounds, and we're getting wonderful sounds, and the, the lyrics, we're getting wonderful lyrics. But it's a biblical principle. God inhabits. That means that God will establish a tabernacle for himself in the praises of his people. And when God shows up, it's really to meet the needs of every single one that's here. You should already start feeling better. You should already start feeling uh, like a breath of fresh air is blowing into your situation because that's what God does. I, I want to thank you. Today is a, a special day in, in several ways. Uh, well, first of all, I, I, I don't want to bypass the significant uh, passing that we had these last few days of uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I want to mention it because truly a champion for the voiceless and truly someone who has made her mark um, in the history of this country. And so many of us are enjoying benefits, really, uh, from her push in the area that she worked in as a, as a jurist, as a judge, uh, but also as an advocate. So uh, uh, she she beat cancer several times and lived to be a wonderful age and feisty until the very end, a sharp mind until the very end. Uh, and we're grateful for, for her um, as people that are in this country and celebrating this country that we know that there's someone like her and many more that will come after because she was an incredible mentor as well. So I want to just honor her and pray that God would comfort the family, the loved ones, and all of those affected by this, this passing. And also, church, let's bear in mind to continue praying for our nation as we embark on, on this other aspect of the turmoil that we're, we're facing. I mean, it's, it's just when you think things are settling, all of a sudden they become unsettled. Uh, but I believe this is, a, this is the moment for the church. This is the moment for the church to be praying, interceding, but also moving forward in uh, being able to uh, find justice in the middle of an unjust world, uh, find truth in the middle of a, wor a world filled with so much untruth that you and I as believers will be able to uh, uh, exude those characteristics of loyalty, of maturity, of integrity. The other thing I want to mention is today is the first Sunday of Hispanic Heritage Month. And I know you may not know this, but I am Hispanic by tradition and birth. And, you know, let, let me just make a, com a few comments here. One is that uh, one in every five American has uh, Hispanic heritage. So you're probably sitting four places away from somebody who's Hispanic or work with some of your neighbors because that's the population. Right now they're saying that over 60 million Hispanics are, make up uh, the United States population. 60 million. It's the largest ethnic group uh, in this country. 80% of those Hispanics are, are citizens of the United States, 80%. And of those 32 million vote, make sure that those 32 million vote this coming election. Uh, 32 million, that's quite a number, because oftentimes when you hear Hispanics, you think of one particular, one particular group from one country only. 
but it's really a, a conglomeration, a, a beautiful mosaic of people from different walks of life. Yes, the largest numbers are from Mexico, Puerto Rico, Cuba, El Salvador, and from the Dominican Republic, but there's a long list of, of people from not only the Caribbean, but also Central and South America and other parts of the world. A few years ago, um, more than a few years ago, actually in 2006, my wife and I were teaching in Africa, and we were down there in Zimbabwe uh, uh, teaching, and I, I met a pastor, an African pastor who was there, and I was th uh, thrown aback when he started to speak to me in Spanish, and he was speaking. I said, how do you speak Caribbean Spanish all the way down in, in Africa? Again, we're all over the place, and that's a good thing, actually, um, and th thank God for that. I don't know if you know, but the, the first and second uh, uh, cities in this nation were established by Hispanics. The number one and number two city in this nation. Sometimes we think New York and we think all these big cities, but really El Paso, Texas and St. Augustine, Florida were established. The first two cities established in this nation were established by, um, by Hispanics. And I also am very proud of this next uh, stat, and that is that uh, almost 1.3 um, uh, million uh, men and women served in the military to protect this country. 1.3 million. So it's a significant impact. And uh, the values that we have as a Hispanics are, of course, faith. You will very rarely find a Hispanic who's, athe who's an atheist. Uh, very rarely. That's a rare, rare person. And tell them that they're rare because that just doesn't exist. Uh, all studies show that we Hispanics basically fall on two sides. We're either uh, Protestant or either Catholic or some form of those traditions. Uh, so we are very spiritual. We are very uh, religious in that regard. The other value that we have, of course, is family. Uh, mess with my job, but don't mess with my, 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 my family. Uh, uh, and also then country as well. So I just mention all of this so that we can you know, stop for a moment also and recognize the great contributions that Hispanics have had over this country and will continue to have. Thank God for that. You can clap. You know, you, you don't have to go very far where someone will tell you, you know, you look like your mom. You look like your dad, right? You, you look like someone I know. I'm, one, I'm, I'm 11 of 12. There's nine of us left now, but it's not unusual when they see us, my brother and I together. You're related, right? Because there's an identity connection that we have. And sometimes we, we walk around and we see people that look like someone we know uh, because there's identity and we, we end up, you, you walk like him, you talk like her, you carry yourself that way. Identity is an interesting thing because what it really does is projects who we are on someone else and vice versa. The, the person also projects on, on us, uh, and that becomes our personhood, if you will. And in this country, we can very easily get mixed up with our identity. Uh, and I know right now, and I've said this before, the agency that can help this nation navigate through the turmoil that it's going through right now is really the church. It is a praying believer, it is a praying man or woman, a young person, a child that goes before the altar of God, not to bring up somebody or to tear down someone, but to pray this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's a different prayer uh, because we shouldn't be praying uh, uh, violence or anything over someone else or condoning it. Uh, but the only one that can do that is the church, the church praying and interceding. But right now, we get mixed up, and sometimes we put uh, hugging the flag higher than uh, hugging the feet of Jesus. Or we think that because I can hold up a Bible, that shows how spiritual I really am. You know, holding up a Bible doesn't make you spiritual. It's living it that makes you spiritual. 
And, and, but we get it all mixed up in this world, in this country that we live in. Sometimes we think that that's, that, that's my first duty, my first responsibility. Well, I'm here to just remind some of you and then to uh, guide and teach some of you as well, uh, the others of you, that our identity is not wrapped up on, I'm Hispanic and I'm proud of being Hispanic, but my identity is not wrapped up in that. Uh, it is not wrapped up in that. I'm also an American Hispanic. I'm born and raised, and I'm an, a citizen. I'm a third-generation American. But my identity is not wrapped up in that. That does not take precedent, precedence. That does not take priority over who I am and who you are in Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to take a few moments and share with you about our identity in Christ and, and outline for you some elements that are, are very important for us to be mindful of today. And, and, and as we move forward, and as we move forward with the changes happening all around us, how can we carry ourselves not so much as American or whatever nationality or nation you belong to, citizenship you, may, you might belong to, but as a, as a man or woman, a person that is given to serve the Lord, how does that affect how I carry myself? The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. That's the writings right here. This is called the epistle or the letter of antiquity. That, that we frequently find in Scripture. We call them epistles. And Paul was an incredible writer, so he's writing to these Ephesians uh, to try to kind of line them up with, with, with their newfound faith in Christ. Because as we unpack the context a little bit more, we will find the following, that the Ephesians, just, they, they had just discovered the gospel. Many of them came from different traditions and from different uh, cultures and even different religions. And now they came into this thing called the way. It wasn't really called the church or Christianity. That was simply phrases that were starting to percolate up into the, into the, the time. So people were called Christians because that's what happened in the book of Acts, first century. But here they were also called other things. And there was like a confusion inside of them of who do I really belong to? What is really my identity culturally but also spiritually? And I, I want us to be very mindful and gracious to the writing here because in the Bible, and in fact in most places of the world, your, the place where you're born and your religion or your faith are the same. When you talk about the Old Testament and the Jews, the Jews were not just Jews because they were part of Israel, but they're Jews because of religion as well. This is the only one of the few countries in the world where there's a dichotomy that you are a Baptist, Protestant, you're this, you're that, you're agnostic. They label you. This country is very good at labeling. Uh, but Paul is kind of confronting the same situation with the Ephesians. He wanted them to understand that your identity is in Christ, and that needs to take priority. Not to put the things out. When I came to the Lord, I did not stop being Puerto Rican. No. When you came to the Lord, you didn't stop being whatever nationality you are. But you just are able then to place it in a way that helps you become a better servant of the Lord. See, when we go to heaven, there's not going to be a flag up there with your country's uh, of origin birth. And there's not going to be a club for Caribbeans and a club for Africans and a club for Europeans. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation that every, every tongue and tribe will definitely bow before him and serve him. And yeah, we know that. But it's going to end right there. You're not going to be serving a, a, a Hispanic God or a Jewish God or an African-American God. We are wrapped up in Christ, and through Christ we're going to be presented. So Paul is writing to them with that in mind. He says, you need to get this straight because you know what? what how you value yourself will determine how you actuate yourself. 
So what you believe, if you believe what your teachers told you, that you were never going to amount to anything, right? Well, not just teachers, adults. Let's be kind to teachers right now. What's going on, right? Adults told you you're not going to amount to anything. You're, you're always going to be a troublemaker. If you believe that, that's how you're going to actuate yourself in life. So in order for us to carry ourselves as a church in this time where if the U.S. needs anything, it's a church. It's believers. We need to then get back to that basic, fundamental, rudimentary a platform where we can launch to then actualize ourselves. And so Paul is writing uh, to them to try and get them straight because he knew the, the charge upon him was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and bring the good news. He knew that the gospel needed to be spread during that region so that then here we are in 2020 that it would reach us as well. Paul knew that, but he understood in order for these Ephesians to be effective, they received the light, they received the gospel, they can't water it down. You see, church, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to be wholly sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost only here at 1130. I want to see you at work. I want to see what, what you reflect there. After the service where we go, because you're, you're going to go places, right? How, how do you carry yourself there? That's where it matters. And so Paul is writing, I don't, I don't care about how you act when we sing and oh, however they did worship back then because it's much different than it is now. Uh, there, or how you even tell, you know, just because someone throws verses at you doesn't mean that they're living that. And so church, I want us to be different. If we're the salt, let us be the salt. If we're light, let us be the light. Let us be the same thing when the lights are on or when we're walking through darkness. When we're enjoying the blessings of God and when we're just, uh, just barely making it through, that we would be the same. And when we mess up, how many people mess up? We don't raise a hand. We all mess up. When we mess up, we run to the altar of brokenness and say, Lord, have mercy on me and get back up and start moving forward. You can clap now and praise the Lord if you can. So these New Testament uh, Christians were facing these challenges based on their cultural identity, religious tradition, the, the, their patronage to their, to their specific country. And there was a mixed mishmash in there, and they weren't able to fully be what God intended the church of Ephesus to be. And the Apostle Paul writes to teach them, and he teaches them that Christ is the great unifier. If anyone's going to bring it together, it's the cross of Calvary. For God so loved the world, it says in John 3.16. It doesn't say for God so loved Puerto Ricans, for God so loved heritage, uh, Hispanic heritage, or whatever cultural you are. He said, for God so loved the world. And if I, this is a sequential message to the message I preached last week. We've we got to be careful on, on who is in and who is not in. There's a, there's a mosaic of cultures and languages that God is calling to the feet. And Jesus is the unifier. That's what Paul is telling them. That's what I'm transmitting to you today. Although it is fine to subscribe to culture, tradition, there exists a higher calling that you and I have. A higher vocation that you and I have. That has nothing to do with your preparation, with your education, your money, or anything like that. There is a higher calling that we had, and Paul is trying to elevate the Ephesian church to get a grip of what it is to be, to have identity in Christ. It is not just anything. It is a, it is a call, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, a tall order to be able to subscribe to the identity of Christ. From where, you, from where do you draw your identity? I'll ask the question. From where do you, you, you put the texture to who you really are? 
Some people immediately go to their job, their social status, their gender, their political position. I'm Democrat, I'm Republican. Their personhood, I'm the oldest, I'm the youngest. We quickly run to that. There's nothing wrong to that, but that, that is only a part, a fragment of who you are. You're the totality of all of your past experiences. That's what you are. That's who you are. You may look like mommy and daddy, but you, 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 you may, uh, you, you may uh, start off looking like mommy and daddy, but you end up looking like the decisions you make in your life. And the totality of all those parts that speak into you. Come on, you can praise the Lord right now. I'm looking out. I see I got, I got your attention. Because it's true. It's not black or white or yellow or, or this or that or right or left or whatever it might be. There is a higher calling. What, what is your identity? What feeds that? Some people immediately go to those things. We actually actuate based on how we view ourselves. If you see yourself as short-tempered, then that's the way you're going to be because I got a bad temper. No, no, no. You, you have it, but in Christ, all things are made new. So stop using that as a crutch and stop, having a, stop being moody. Come on, look at your neighbor. No, don't tell him. Don't look at your neighbor. No, no. Stop being moody. No, that's the way I've always been. No, we are a new creation in Christ. Where is your identity? In the way you were before. No, in my family, they were all sarcastic. So I'm that way. No, 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 no. In your family also, there were some dull people. You're not dull. You're an exciting person. Hallelujah. There's this view that people have of Christians. Oh, they're, they're, they're boring. I don't think I'm boring. If you think you're boring, that's your problem. I don't think I'm boring. I think uh, you, you, well, Andre Crouch wrote the, song, wrote the song, You Ain't Living Until You Met the Savior, Had a Personal Experience with the Savior. Until you answer his call, you ain't living at all. <laughs> that's Andre Crouch. And it's true, you should be more alive. Or are you? Or why are you not? Because the identity is based on the bank account. The identity is based on my education. The identity is based on the clothes I wear. The identity is where I live. The identity is how many possessions that I have. You and I need to realize that our identity, the launching pad for our identity is Christ Jesus, is the cross of Calvary, is the feet of the master. Come on, you can clap and praise the Lord today. So he writes to the Ephesian church, and he just three things that I get out of the reading that I want to, uh, want to share with you. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. First thing is, he tells them, uh, as, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. So the first thing we need to realize in our identity, that our past is a past of death, of calamity, of sin, and transgressions. Don't raise your hand or make any kind of gesture with your mouth by, or with your face. But how many of you have made mistakes in the past? But sometimes we live today like we're still doing that mistake when you're not doing that anymore. There's some things in the past that you don't want to remember, that you're ashamed of and embarrassed of. And that aren't good to tell anyone. You keep them to yourself. But don't let that be a burden to stop you from living in the now and moving forward. Because everybody's got a past. Say hallelujah if you can. Everybody's made mistakes. Hey, praise the Lord if you can. There's no one perfect here. So Paul is telling them very clearly, your identity is in Christ. But remember that at one time you were dead. Singular punishment. It says you were dead because of your own transgressions. In other words, it wasn't that somebody made you dead. It's that you dead it yourself dead. You know it's true. Most of the stuff is our self-inflicted wounds. Nobody did it, but we blame the church. We blame, oh, you don't know, because I was, the, I was the firstborn. I was the lastborn. I was the middleborn. I was the onlyborn. I was the almost notborn. We present all these excuses. My parents, well, you know, we were very poor. Listen, I grew up poor. I didn't know I was poor in my family. I didn't know I was poor until later on. We lived in the projects. I, I thought that was fantastic. We had an elevator. 
And we think and we go back, yeah, but you don't know my story. I don't know your story, but God knows your story. But don't stay stuck on your story. There's a new story that God is writing over your life. All things are past. Everything is made new unless you keep it in the past. Hallelujah. He says, you were dead. He's reminding them, I knew you, Ephesians, before you came to know the way, before you came to know the gospel. I knew you, but it was your own fault, your transgressions, your sins, the things you used to do. That's what made you what you are today, uh, 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 impacted you in a negative way and made you dead. Church, we need to realize that. Isn't it good that God saved you, rescued you, went to get you, pulled you out, lifted you up, healed you, restored you, put you back on your feet, gave you a song once? Isn't it wonderful? Hallelujah, because your life was heading down. But God, hallelujah, came in. But look, let's continue verses 1 through 3, because he says, not just were you dead because of your decisions, but he says, there's a spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, the king of the air. And church, right now, I I firmly believe this, and and I don't usually speak prophetically this way, but I firmly believe that a few years ago, a dark spirit of deception has covered this nation. And it's still here. But here's the problem. It's not so much that it's covering the nation. It's seeping its way into the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Just because they lie doesn't mean that you have to lie. Just because they exaggerate doesn't mean that you have to exaggerate. Just because they they talk about people and give names to people that aren't their names doesn't mean that we have to be doing name calling. Come on, praise the Lord if you can. Don't let the powers of darkness seep into your life. Some of you are not clapping. You're not happy. Want me to be clearer? (laughs) And we right away, we subscribe to this. This context that's really demonic, it's really a dark power. There's no life. Right now, the religious leaders are calling for the church to pray because it seems like it's the end of the world. Hallelujah. And I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I just know one thing. I'm alive today. God is alive in my life. God has this church here for a purpose. We're going to keep moving forward, seeking after the Lord and, li- and looking for revival in the land. I believe it's not over until God says it's over. We could be in the 11th hour, 59th minute, and God can just resurrect things and turn it around. Come on, is there a church that can say hallelujah or praise the Lord? That's the God that I serve. Hallelujah. There's a lot of fear now with the election and what's going on. There's going to be, I'm not afraid. My my house is built on the rock, which is Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, but you don't understand. I understand more than what you're giving me credit to understand. Trust me. Praise the Lord. We got to not understand. We got to discern what does this mean? How do I synthesize what I'm hearing people are saying? How, what does it mean in the, in the scheme, in the, in the strategy that God has in place? And I'm telling you that not only we're in, dead in sin because of what we do and what we have done and our poor decisions of the past, but also there is a spirit. That's why you can only wrestle with spirit through the spirit, capital S. You need to be filled with the power. You have, listen. You have authority over powers of darkness. That's the problem that believers are having. You don't realize the power you have, the authority you have. Satan jumps, he makes noise, he does all these things, he influences, he causes people to say and do things that you are so surprised. But you, as a child of God, have authority. Stand firmly on the authority that we have on the cross of Calvary. That's my identity. Left on my own, the devil would destroy me. But greater is he who is with me than he who is in the world. I know I stand and the Lord stands with me. So when I'm marching forward, I'm not afraid of any power of darkness that may come my way. 
You're giving up too easily. You're giving up your kids too easily. You're giving up on your family too easy. You have authority. Authority. You're giving up on your marriage too quickly. You're giving up on your future too quickly. You're giving up on your health too quickly. You're giving up on your mind too quickly. You have authority. Stand on the authority. Then Jesus tell the devil, it is written. Oh, come on now, hallelujah. All authority I have given to you, the Bible says. Praise the Lord. I'll calm down in a moment. I see believers, Christians, you come into church and I'm looking around and then you're being smacked here and there. Stand on the promises of God. Tell the devil, not in this house. Well, I'll go next door. Go next door, but not in this house. Messing with your kids and then we give up. I've done everything I can have you. The Bible says when you finish standing, stand. Hallelujah. When you finish rebuking, rebuke some more. Uh, devil, I come against you, against you in the name of Jesus Christ. By the blood of the Lamb, you are defeated. You can't touch my kids. You can't touch my home. You can't touch my mind. You can't touch my pocket. You can't touch my future. You are not allowed. He said it. Dead in sin because of, prop of their own decision, but also there is a spirit moving. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And it's this thing of disobedience, church. The very fundamental failure that human beings make, not just to God but to others, is disobedience. And church, we need to be a people that obey, become an expert in obedience. Work it. And you know, obedience is not a, sometimes it's not a happy road. But when you're obedient, you just do it. Why? Because he said it, but I don't understand. It doesn't matter. He said it. That's why you got to walk the straight and narrow. You can't be... You know, Lord, have mercy on me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, we go here, there, and everywhere. You got to be who you say you are. You shouldn't be going down that path. Oh, yeah, but my friends, not you, you. Stop it. Rebuke it. Rebuke yourself. No, but the influence, peer pressure. Peer pressure? Come on now. Stand firmly on the promises of the Lord. It's almost like a singular punishment. What happens is when you are disobedient, you're hurting yourself. When you're dead, to, when you're dead because of sin, you're hurting yourself. Nobody else is hurt. You're hurting yourself. When you go into lying and deceiving, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your reputation. It's a, what I call a singular punishment. Each person is responsible for their actions. Just because they're jumping doesn't mean you need to. Just because they're doing whatever doesn't mean you need to. And if you're doing it, then you're not the strong person in that relationship. You're the weak person in that relationship. You say, yeah, but I have to explain. Explain what? I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I don't want to do it. What do you mean you don't want to do it? What part of I don't want to do it you don't, you don't understand? You know, see, there's some times that you can't be messing around with ambiguity. You need to define yourself. And say, I'm not going there yesterday, I'm not going there today, and I'm not going there tomorrow. Yeah, but we're all going again. I am not going yesterday, I'm not going today. How, who is the Lord speaking to right now in here? Oh, on the other side of that camera. Oh my goodness. Do I sense the move of the Holy Spirit in this place? Hallelujah. The devil is the ruler of the air. I don't even want to mention his name. He has influence, but he has no authority. He has influence. He runs around like a, like a, he thinks he's a lion. He can't roar, but he thinks. 
He plays around, but God is the one. All authority is the Lord's. And he has given it unto us. The spirit of those of disobedience, they lack uh, self-control, so they go down this path of disobedience. And, and, and in a way, deserving the wrath that comes upon them. He says here that you were, let me go back to the beginning of the verse. You, it, were is past tense, right? Spanish is my first language, but I, I can understand it. Right? So, I was, not I am. You were dead in sin, but today, but how, how? It's because of Christ in our lives. So, dead in sin, I was, but no longer am. Verse 4, just one word that I want to hit on verse 4 for the teaching today. And that is the word, but. He says, but God. <laughs> I love but God interruptions. You know, not now, years ago, you were where you shouldn't be doing what you shouldn't have been doing. And something just happened to happen that saved you. Everybody else got caught, got sick, are no longer around, but you. But God are prayers that mom and dad and pastors have over their congregation. Lord, I don't care how you do it. I don't care how you reach them. I don't care how you correct them. I don't care how you bring them back. Just bring them back. And God goes and sends an angel and gives you a but God moment, an interruption moment. He says here in this text, we were dead to sin. But God, because of his great love, not my doing, his doing. Because of his great riches and mercy, not my mercy, but because of him. He made us alive, contrary to what we see in verse 1. Made me alive in Christ and made me dead to my transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. So there's a divine interruption. I'm praying, I really am praying, God, let there be a divine interruption into this country. Let there be a divine interruption into families. Let there be a divine interruption into people. Let there be divine interruptions into Wall Street. Let there be divine interruptions into the, the, the school education system. Let there be divine interruptions even in the church. A divine interruption. A divine interruption. God did that when God saw the, the sinfulness and disobedience of his creation. God interrupted this downfall. It said that, and we read it in the book of John, the incarnation, that the, the flesh uh, uh, became, uh, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt means that it interposed itself on our context. And I'm here to tell you that for some of us today, God's got to interrupt your plans. The things that you have in mind are not godly. God doesn't want you to go there, move there, do that, be there. But you say, no, but just because it feels right doesn't mean that it's right. Doesn't mean that's what God wants you. He has a plan to interrupt. And he's gonna, you know how he does it sometimes? He takes away everything that you thought was valuable. Well, you have no option but to run to him. Why do you need to get there? You lose this and that and relationships fall apart. All of a sudden you say, well, what happened? They loved me yesterday. They don't love me now. My job was fine yesterday Now, it, because God is interrupting because the, the course that you're taking is a course that's going to keep you toward death. God wants to turn it around for you. Hallelujah. His love for you is so great that he will interrupt. We are made alive in Christ. He died to give us life, saved by his grace. God made up the difference in our inability to even save ourselves if we look at verses 4 through 9. So we were dead in sin. But God, and then the last part is verse 10. 
It says, for we are. So if I was dead, then but God steps in, then what do I become? I love this verse, and I, I think I'm going to encourage you today because you have the wrong image of who you are. I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too wide, I'm too this, I'm too long, I'm too, my nose is not right, and my hair, it's my ear. And we sometimes say that in a passing way, but those feelings are ingrained deep inside. I can't, I can't accomplish. Somebody, God will use somebody else. I'm too old. I know too much. I don't know enough. I'm afraid of people. I don't like talking in front of crowds. All these things, right? But I, let me submit to you, if in Scripture it says that the Lord saw me when I was in the womb of my mom, and if he had a plan there for me when he saw me, because I don't think anyone is an accident, there's a plan for everyone, saw me there, and I'm not living the way I should be leave, living, then I must have lost track of the owner's manual that God had for me when he saw me in the womb. And I need to go back to the original owner's manual to find out what verse 10 is telling me. And that it says, it says, listen to this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. You are beautiful. You look like God. There's characteristics of divinity inside of you that just oozing out of you. You're his handiwork. And in one of the versions, he changes the word handiwork to masterpiece. Do you think I wake up in the morning and say, look at this junk? And I am not arrogant. But I know the authority I stand in. And I look at myself and say, God, not bad. I'm saying that to maintain your attention. This is, don't, don't, don't pray for me, Lord, make him more humble. I'm, those that know me know where I'm coming. But you wake up in the morning and all we is, I can't, I won't, I won't be able to. They'll never accept me. They'll never see me. Why can't I be like this? Why can't I be like that? I have no dreams of becoming Denzel Washington. No dreams. Or whoever else. I don't know what other name. I'll probably name the wrong person. I have no dreams whatsoever. I think God, I'm the best Mark Rivera that God ever made. But wait, before you clap, you are the best, put your name on it, that God ever made. And so what's the point here? The point is that you are his handiwork. And when you make a masterpiece, you don't just throw it in the garbage. You don't just put it aside. You don't just put it aside. They, they, we, we just did the project, uh, and we're going to talk about it in a few moments. And I went down to my office yesterday, and they had to take some stuff down in my office. And I have a lot of books downstairs and stuff. That, but there's some things that are, don't touch it. <laughs> And for you, it wouldn't matter, but there, there's some things that are very important. And this morning when I came into my office, I couldn't find this, this object that I had in my office. I said, whether they, and then right away, how many people sometimes think depravity? You're lying right now. You're lying right now. Your mind goes where it should. My mind went where it should. Before I came up, I had to repent. I said, I hope they didn't take this. 
Pastor Will, who, who opened the doors here yesterday? Who was in my office? It turns out that they took it and they placed it in a very safe place. So when I found it, I was like, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It was a wonderful reminder of something important to me. I have pictures of my granddaughters out there, pictures with my wife, places that we've been, and things that just remind you that that's what you are to God. When God sees you, he doesn't go. <laughs> when God sees you, he goes like this. He goes, oh. If she knew, if he knew how much I loved him. If he knew the plans that I have. Plant, you know the scripture. That's the way. You know what's amazing? Even with all of our mess-ups, God still wants you. You are. You're not, not you're going to be. You are his handiwork. Creative handiwork. God created us to his image. We're not gods, but we have a God-likeness in us. Believe what God says about you. You are handiwork. You are a masterpiece. You are royal priesthood. You are more. That you, he loves you. Believe that. Accept it. Don't reject that. Don't push that away. The text says we because through Christ we have been brought together to an identity of we. The body of Christ is not about I, I, I. It is about us. And when you hurt, I hurt. When I hurt, hopefully you'll hurt. This morning service, when Eddie was here, he was an intubated just three days ago. He just got out of the hospital on Thursday. He walks into the church this morning to worship. He looked like nothing happened. He, I mean, he was intubated. We almost lost him. And I was like, oh, you're here. And he started telling me the story. I says, no, I just, I wish we weren't in COVID because I want to hug you right now because I'm glad you're here. You're important in this church. You, you might talk too much. You might, oh, this, you know, so let me put your stories. <laughs> You tell us the same story over and over that you told us before. I'm guilty too. But God sees you as his handiwork. He loves you just the way you are. You don't have to earn that. It's already given to you. And that's what Paul was transmitting to the church in Ephesus. Dead in sins. Singular punishment. But God. Divine interruption. We are creative handiwork. Paul is telling the Ephesians church, in order for you to be able to move forward in what God has for you as a church and with the gospel, you need to grab hold of your primary identity. And your primary identity is in Christ. Church, our primary identity is not national patriotism. Our primary identity is heavenly patriarchalism under the Father. That's the kingdom that we serve. That's the kingdom that we honor. As we see what's going around us, your identity will matter every day more and more. Make sure that you launch yourself and actualize yourself from that point of being a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we do that, I believe the church will truly become the church and the catalyst for change and hope in the world that we live in today. Let us stand throughout the sanctuary.
every head bow and eye close. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Father, I sense right now that we're at that crossroads, that moment of decision. I know, Lord, that today you have spoken to so many people here and those watching us. Help us, dear Lord. We had our identity all mixed up. But today we want to align with you. As every head is bowed and eye closed, if the Lord spoke to you today, I want you to just slip up your hand right where you are, right where you are. I see the, I see the hands. I see the hands. Father, right now, I pray for my brothers and sisters that hold their hand up and realize that Although I was speaking to a crowd, it seemed like you were speaking directly to their hearts. Help them, Lord, to move away from the past. Those things are behind us, behind them. Let them be renewed today that you have interrupted their life for the good. Let them know that they are your handiwork. Help my brothers and sisters to align their lives with you. Help my brothers and sisters today. And those watching us, I can't see the hands on the other side of the camera, but I know it's happening there too. That this will be the day that you are embraced as Lord and Savior of their lives with a plan and purpose for today and for the future. I bless your people, Lord. Father, I pray that just as the powers of darkness come in to bring sickness and despair and depression. Lord, we stand on the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. And I send the word of healing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I rebuke bind and cast out infirmity. And I speak health in Jesus' name, commanding every organ and tissue to function normally. I pray, Lord, that you calm our emotions and heal our emotions. I pray for a divine visitation of your Holy Spirit to every home, every household. Right now, families are hurting. Visit that home. Touch that son, that daughter, that mom, that dad. Let your presence be felt there, Lord, and hope to return once again. And help us as a church that we might be able to embrace our identity in Christ so that we can move forward, Lord, honoring you always. Always, always, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen and amen. Sing that song with me. For, for you are great, you do miracles so great, there is no 